We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. Uh, RSP options. We got a few here. Yes, there's a lot of them. And by the way, welcome to February. Where oh, did the yeah. month of January yeah, go? Yeah, really. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's right. And now that it's February, we should maybe talk about RSPs a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, you know, a lot of people, it's uh, done throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So either group RSPs at work or group pension funds. A lot of people are um, adding monthly. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to kind of go right to the basics and work from there. So first of all, the question is, should you get an RSP? Mm-hmm. And to the most part, I would say yes. It would be like, should I join a pension fund at work? And I would say almost in every case that, yeah, you should, you know, especially if somebody's matching it. But in terms of uh, should you do an RSP, the first thing you want to do, if you're just starting your job and you're in a fairly low income bracket, you may want to say, okay, maybe I w- won't do an RSP yet. I'm only making, say, 35000 a year. Mm-hmm. Within a few years, I'll be making, say, 60000 a year why don't I save that RSP room until I'm at a higher tax bracket? So it all starts with tax brackets. So that's the first question you should look at. And I'm going to go through those tax brackets. So the, 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 the call it the sh- um, lowest tax bracket, is under 44000 mm-hmm. And it's about a 20% tax bracket. So if you're making under $44,000 a year, and you think you're going to be earning well over that in a short period of time, Absolutely, I would recommend maybe look at the tax-free savings account first. Mm -hmm. Start building that up so that later on you can transfer the money from the TFSA over to the RSP. And the advantage for that is you're not getting as much of a tax break now as you would when you were making more. Exactly. So like three years later, you're making $60,000 a year. You've gone from a 20% tax bracket to a 30% tax bracket. By the way, as you all know, you probably will be pulling this money out and paying tax on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's unlikely you're going to take the money out and not pay any tax because mm-hmm. if that was the case, you'd have to earn less than 15000 a year. Right. Okay, so, and again, there's that tax credit when you're 65. So there's an option to get 2000 a year tax-free, but to the most part, you save tax now, you pay tax later. Right. Okay, so really the tax brackets go like this, under 44000 20%. Then there's this 47000 to 77000 30%. So that's kind of a really big middle bracket. And a mm-hmm. lot of people, st- their income will be there all their life. So if your income is going to be there for long for the rest of your life, just yeah, absolutely put the RSPs in. Now you may actually drop to the lower bracket, under 45000 under 44000 when you retire. So you save at 30%, pay at 20%. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Um, then th- there's another bracket. It's basically 77000 and 95000 And at that bracket, you're in about a 34% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Big bracket here though, 95,000 to 148,000. And at that bracket, you're in a 43.41% bracket. Mm. So here's a great kind of sweet zone that if you're, you feel your income is going to get into the 100,000 plus, again, well, why wouldn't I want to save at 43%? Save all that RSP room until you're up there. Now, again, it all depends on your job and, and where you feel your income is going to go. Um, and then there's the 148 to 220 tax brackets, 48%. And by the way, the highest bracket in Canada, I know I've said it a few times, but I'd like to say one more. Anything over $220,000 in a year is 53.53%. Over half of your money goes to the government. 
If you are in that income bracket, there is no downside for ever putting money into an RSP. Even if you're in the same bracket when you retire, you can't get higher than that. So absolutely put money into the RSPs mm. if you have that. Now, this also goes for those one-offs. Let's say you sell a cottage and you had a very high income because of a capital gain. What a great time to use that RSP room. Right. Especially all of a sudden you've bounced your income over the 220 area. And you say, let's say you made 250. Well, you definitely want to put at least 30,000 into an RSP mm -hmm. just to get rid of the 53.5% bracket. Right. And quite often, you may even want to borrow for it. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to number two. What, here's my options. How should I pay for this RSP? Well, the best way, or probably the easiest way, simply write a check. Mm -hmm. Okay, lump sum. You got some money, write a check, get that RSP done. Now that's on the basis you got the money. Now, if you're really doing well, you can actually not only pay for last year. So right now, in the first 60 days of the year, you have a choice. You can go back and pay for 2019's RSP right now, or you can actually buy 2020's RSP right now. Hmm. It's kind of funny because so many people are behind the kind of the eight ball. You're always doing the RSP for last year right now. They didn't even know you can do it, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And if you do have that extra cash right now, and you're doing 2020s right now, you're basically taking the money and it's sitting in the RSP and it's growing tax-free. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to have it sitting there? You got it invested, it's growing. Why do you want it to sit there, invest it, and have it earn interest and pay tax on it? Mm -hmm. Or capital gains or dividends. So why not get it invested right away and you'll end up with a lot more money, okay, by getting that money working for you. So yes, if you have the money, absolutely just write a check. The other way is what they call dollar cost averaging or, or packing the money. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like how most things are done, uh, whether you work through work or a pension, you're just simply taking money off your paycheck. Right, so much a month. So much a month, <clears throat> it's a bill. Mm -hmm. I owe myself X amount of dollars every month and I'm gonna add dollar average into the, into the investments. Mm -hmm. Now there's another advantage to this is that you're buying shares at different prices. Yeah. Okay. So the whole idea, is it a good time to buy? Is it, you know, should I wait? What about this impeachment? What about the coronavirus? What about mm. whatever? There's always things that are going on. Mm. What should you do? Well, it doesn't matter. You're dollar averaging. If there's a drop in the market, you're actually buying more shares because they're cheaper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it goes up, you're buying less shares. So your average cost actually is lower that way because you're buying more of the cheap ones and less of the expensive shares. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a great way to buy. Um, to invest and it take and you will end up with an average return, which is nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Most people don't get the average return because they're always trying to time the market. Right. Um, finally, there is the option get that RSP loan if it makes sense to borrow, um, borrow money, buy an RSP. Mm -hmm. Now, the caveat to that I would suggest is to pay it off as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. So if you're taking $10,000 out and you're buying and buy, getting your RSP that way, and you're in a 40% tax bracket, you're gonna get a $40,000 uh, refund. Mm -hmm. So right away, boom, off, you pay down, now you owe six. Well, if you can pay that off, because you now have a monthly payment plan, and let's say you pay it off by October, maybe then you start dollar averaging. You start mm -hmm. adding monthly, because you're used to paying that $500 yeah. a month. Time to get into it. Just keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. Why, why, why stop now? You're, in a, you're on a roll. And so that way, if you, you pay it off by October, now you have November, December, January, February, four right. months, you've got a, a $2,000 head start into the next Towards year. The next year, yeah. Exactly. Yep. And that way you don't have to borrow as much. Mm -hmm. So it kind of weans you off that borrowing method. Yeah. Great way. Um, another way of getting RSPs is if you're sitting there with shares, some people will say, well, I can sell my shares and buy an RSP. 
or I kind of like those shares. I'm just going to transfer them directly into my RSP. Mm -hmm. Now, this is kind of interesting. Let's say, and I'm going to use a marijuana company as an example because they've been fairly volatile in the last little, call it from the day one. So let's say you've got 100 shares of this marijuana company and currently they're at $50 a share. You bought them at $25. So if you move those directly into your RSP, you would get a $5,000 RSP. Mm -hmm. 100 shares times 50 bucks a share. However, because you transfer them, even though you haven't sold them, you've literally just put them into your RSP account in kind, it triggers a as if you did sell them. Mm -hmm. And it's a capital gain. Really? Yeah. So Just the, from moving them into your RSP? From the non-registered into the RSP, they count that as a capital gain. Hmm. You can't get away from that capital gain. Mm -hmm. So as in this case here, let's say you bought them for $25 and they're now $50, you've got a $2,500 capital gain. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, half of that's taxable. And even if you're in a 50% tax bracket, that's a $625 um, cost to you. So therefore, even though you put your $5,000 into the RSP, you saved yourself $2,500 in tax, you have to pay six twenty-five dollars uh, in terms of tax for the capital gain you just mm -hmm. triggered. And the only exception to that is if you had losses in the past, you can use against the gains. Right. Now let's go the op opposite. Let's say, you know what? These marijuana companies, I think they're going to start going up. And they've had, they really have tumbled in the last, mm -hmm. call it a year. They're actually negative like 50%. So let's say 100 shares of this marijuana company, they're still $50 a share, but you bought them for 100. And you think, okay, I'm going to move these into the RSP. And therefore, when they go up, I don't have to worry about it. It's just going to grow like crazy right. in my RSP. And so you move those in and you think, good, I'm also going to get the loss. Because in the first case, you got that big capital gain when yeah. you moved them in. Therefore, if you move them into the RSP, you should get the capital loss. Makes sense. Mm. It doesn't. No. <laughs> the government gets a win on this one. I have no idea why they do it this way. But in this case, you would have, the, the shares you put in 5,000, transferred 100 shares at 50 bucks a share. There's $5,000 you moved in. It cost you 10,000 10, when you bought them. So you lost five grand. Yeah. You do not get to claim that write-off. And by the way, this applies for both RSPs and TFSAs. Mm -hmm. This is the same rules. And so they don't allow that loss. So what you need to do in that case, you literally need to sell those shares and purchase Start over, yeah. shares in the RSP. Mm -hmm. you, you cannot, you'd have to take it to cash, take that cash, buy those shares in the RSP. And generally speaking, they even make you wait 30 days. I'm not sure in this particular case, but that's the only way to get that loss. Um, finally, uh, number five is, okay, we've got you, should you do it? How should you do it? Transferring shares, just invest wisely. And number one is diversify. There's so many ways to invest that money within the RSP. And there's, you know, one person once said to me, you know, to diversify means that you're not going to make a killing. Okay, but you're not going to get killed. Mm. <laughs> okay. No. And it truly is. It's, it's a little more boring, but really that's what a pension is. It's a diversified portfolio. So first of all, look at the, fixed income side of things under the fixed income which are things that such as real estate very it has nothing to do with the stock market canadian bonds global bonds which are loans to the government both canadian and, and non-canadian high yield bonds which are riskier loans to companies normally floating rate bonds 
mortgages. There's so many different types of fixed income. Well, once you say, okay, I want a certain percentage that's not affected by the stock market, and let's say you say oh, it's 25%, that 25% of fixed income can be diversified over many different assets that are fixed income. And it's not simply a GIC or simply a Canadian bond. And all these work differently. So you should diversify not only the equity side of your portfolio, but also the fixed income side of the portfolio. So also the stock side of the portfolio, I'm going to get to right off the break and how to diversify that side. All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com or you can call 905-529-7165. Leave a message and they will return your call. We're talking about RSP options. Yes, and we're just getting to the investment side, which is a major part of your RSP decision. So first of all, there's the fixed income side of things. But then you look at, okay, I want the other 70% or 75% in equities. So then you look at, okay, which equities, and really what an equity is, is simply the stock market in different areas. Mm -hmm. So a Canadian equity fund would have things such as the bank stocks would be in there, uh, telecommunication stocks, perhaps some, some mining stocks would be there. That'd be more of a Canadian. Um, so geographic is one of the ways to diversify your stocks. So you would have Canadian equities, you would have US equities, you would have European stocks, and you would have emerging market stocks. Mm -hmm. So now you've got your portfolio, you've got all these different um, stocks throughout the world. And say, okay, I'm well diversified. Well, kind of. You also need to separate between value equities and growth equities. Mm -hmm. Good example, Royal Bank would probably be considered a value stock. It's been going on forever, very conservative, has a track record of dividends. And a growth stock would probably be something like uh, Google. Okay, mm -hmm. um, what did we do 20 years ago with Google? Well, it wasn't invented yet, so it doesn't have that track record. And, and, it's, and it's a little more tech. Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was what was before Google. Yeah. Was, was the was the encyclopedia, which is you don't even hear of anymore, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, so Can't value versus growth. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, parents have some if anybody's looking for it. <laughs> yes. She tried to give them to me. I got a device. I don't need it. <laughs> That's true. Our, our encyclopedia now fits in our pocket. Exactly, exactly. So then value versus growth. And really lately, growth investments have been a higher performing area than the value investments. Okay, but that changes. Next decade, who knows which will be the, the more popular one. Then you also look at, okay, how large are these companies? Large companies versus mid cap versus small cap. So, and what happens quite often is some of those mid companies, such as say Starbucks, all of a sudden becomes a large cap company mm -hmm. once they get large enough. So to invest in different size companies also matters. And this is what Andy and I do. We try to, once we get through, does it make even sense to get the RSP? How should we do the RSP? Now we look at what type of investments should be in your RSP to maximize your return while limiting how much risk you're gonna take. So I give an example here. If you invested 20 years ago and you said, okay, I'm just going to put it in blue chip U.S. stocks, all large cap. Yeah, you would have done quite well. You would have got 8% return. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you would have thought, hey, this is fantastic. My 100 grand is now worth $465,000. Nobody would ever complain about that 8% return. 
And some people say, well, I like to be a little more risky. I'm going to put it in small companies because they're going to do better. Well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. The past 20 years, only worked out to a 6% return. And your 100 grand was worth 331000 mm. But what if you're in mid-cap, middle-sized companies? The 100000 would be worth currently 588000 It would end up averaging a 9.2% return. So the extra 1.2% return over simply going with the largest companies works out to an extra $123,000 in your pocket after 20 years. And if you did that over small companies, literally it's 78% more money. Mm. So it makes a massive difference, but there's no way anybody could tell you small companies are better, which one's better. So the idea is have them all, have the small, have the mid, and they also recover differently after recession. Often the smaller companies are a little more nimble. And they'll come back quicker than the larger companies. So the whole point is by having a balanced portfolio, you're going to get a very good return with far less volatility. Mm. So the next thing, all these RSPs at the end of the day are part of the retirement plan. And I know Andy's uh, got a case study of somebody's going to retire within a year. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Don. The, um, I wanted to take listeners through a case study of a couple that I recently met. And they're sort of, they're zeroing in on retirement. It's one year to go. And uh, so it just so happens that their names are Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Oh, what a coincidence. (laughs) And they are 63 years old. Did he work uh, in a gravel pit? Fred works at the quarry. (laughs) Oh, there you go. With Mr. Slate. I think I know uh, these people. Yeah. And uh, Fred's been doing quite well at the quarry. He makes about $130,000 a year. And they have one daughter named... Pebbles. Uh, Pebbles. Pebbles, who's now 30, but still single. So... so when Fred and Wilma came to me about their own retirement, um, what we wanted to sort of understand is what, what are the sort of snapshot, the process that we take everybody through is to understand what are their financial goals, understanding a snapshot of where they are today, and then understanding then what are the strategies that would make sense to get you from where you are to where you want to be mm-hmm. with confidence. And so... When we look at uh, the main goals that Fred and Wilma had, she now Wilma never worked. She stayed at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fred has been working at the quarry for the last 30 years. And his income at 130000 puts him in a 43.41% marginal tax bracket. So anybody earning between 96000 and 148000 in Ontario is in a 43.4% marginal tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So just putting that into real numbers, if, if Fred got a $1,000 bonus, $434 of that, get close to half, yeah. goes back in terms of tax provincial tax and federal tax. So um, Fred wants to retire June 2021, so a year this June coming up at age 64. And we're going to assume that inflation over his life is going to be 2.5% and that uh, they'll both live out till age 90. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so where do they sit today in terms of assets? They've got a home that's paid for uh, at $700,000 of value. They have a car, some vehicles, 25000 and they also have a boat, an antique boat that they've had, which is worth about seventy-five grand. Mm-hmm. Then in terms of um, just cash on hand and their savings, they've got $100,000 that's built up in their savings account and checking accounts. And then in terms of long-term savings, they've got an RRSPs uh, of 430000 and those are all in Fred's name. And Fred also, Mr. Slate at the quarry, set up a defined contribution pension plan. Mm-hmm. So um, Fred has $370,000 in his pension plan at work. And um, so in total, 
800000 in RSP or right. registered savings, okay? Now, uh, they don't have anything in, in a tax-free savings account. So today their assets are $1,700,000 in total. Mm -hmm. Now they do have a mortgage still on the property of about $250,000 and they're currently paying $1,500 a month towards that and it's uh, still 15 years in terms of amortization left. So they're going to be heading into retirement with this mortgage and a mortgage payment. So that means their net worth is $1,450,000. And then we get into understanding, well, what's their cash flow? What are are they actually spending every year? What's it costing them to live? And and what's it going to cost them when they head into retirement in terms Mm -hmm. of their lifestyle as well? So on the cash flow side, we we know they had fixed costs, uh, utilities, property taxes of about uh, $10,000 a year. So that's $833 a month. They have uh, a travel budget of 10000 a year as well, so another 833 a month. They have that mortgage payment, which is 1500 a month, mm-hmm. and that's going to carry on as well. Uh, and they've been saving uh, $1,000 a month towards that contribu- the defined benefit, uh, sorry, defined contribution pension plan and personal RRSP. And then they have, uh, so that's 1000 a month. Then they have lifestyle costs, which is everything in terms of entertainment and things that they would like to do that they do in terms of hobbies, etc., gifts throughout the year uh, of $24,000. Transportation would fall into there as well. So $24,000 a year or $2,000 a month. So total, roughly about $6,200 a month that they need in terms of their ongoing costs and lifestyle. And without the mortgage, it would be about $4,700, mm-hmm. $1,500 less. Now, when we started to then think about their goals and objectives, as we say, we, they both they wanted to retire in 18 months, within sort of a year and a bit. Um, but they, they were concerned because a lot of their friends who have or are retiring, they're really not doing anything. So they're thinking, I don't want to underlive. You mm-hmm. know, like we, we still want to enjoy our money. So they were concerned about not underliving, and uh, but at the same time worrying they don't want to run out of money. Mm-hmm. And they, but they're okay in terms of an estate for pebbles. Mm-hmm. They thought, you know what, we're okay if we use up our money over time. Uh, we'd like to be able to leave her something, but we've, you know, she's been educated and she has yeah. no debt as a result of that. So she's well on her way. And uh, so we don't mind spending some of our capital over time. We did a risk questionnaire or risk analysis to understand what type of investment risk are they comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And on a scale of one to five, with one being conservative and five being aggressive, they came out as a number two. Mm -hmm. So we would consider that moderate conservative. Um, Fred has $98,000 of RRSP room, so money that's still Mm -hmm. available he can contribute that hasn't been done yet. And of course, they each have $69,500 of TFSA room that neither of them have used. And um, we, assuming that they'll live to age 90, there's some longevity in their family. So that certainly seems like a possibility. And um, when he retires in June from uh, the quarry, he's going to need 20 grand to buy out a leased car that, mm-hmm. he, that they have that he provides a company car. So 20 grand in June 2021 to buy out the car. So we put all of that data and all of those priorities and assumptions into our software. And this is, you know, when I think about um, uh, 
And we talked a little bit last week about the Monte Carlo analysis. And the Monte Carlo analysis is to give people an understanding when we stress test your retirement to give you a percentage of confidence. How confident can you be that this money is going to last and based on market conditions and volatility, will you have a good chance of making it without running out? And so I think about it again as sort of a green light, yellow light, red light. And uh, if the percentage is under 60%, then I think that's a red light. We want to look at, well, we're getting into the zone where where it's a flip of a coin Mm -hmm. in terms of will you make it or won't you make it. Uh, From 60 up to about 80, I think we're in the yellow zone. And anything above 80%, we're in the green zone. Things look pretty good. Uh, So we ran their plan through the Monte Carlo analysis. We ran over 500 what-if scenarios and uh, they ended up with a 56% success rate. Mm -hmm. So 56% of the time they were going to make it and it should be okay, but that means 44% of the time, almost half the time, they were not going to make it. Mm -hmm. So really what that boiled down to is the reality that they would have to sell their house. Mm -hmm. There's no way that their assets are going to maintain them throughout their life. Uh, and particularly if they live beyond age 90. And um, uh, so more than likely, they're going to have to sell their house. Is that the end of the world? No, not really. But you know what? Maybe there's a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what the whole financial planning process is about when you meet with your financial planner. So then we decided I wanted to look at what would be the new plan? What would be the new strategies that we can apply to this and see if we can improve that probability of success? Can we get that out of the the, uh, <clears throat> the red light zone mm-hmm. of 56%, somewhere into the yellow or green light. Um, so when I looked at the new plan, the first thing I, th- I said, well, we should, we, should, um, we should prepare for a wedding at some point for Pebble. So let's put aside five grand that we need just in case, mm-hmm. though that might need be a necessity down the road. Um, the other observation I, I, I looked found is that when I went into his pension plan at the quarry, what we discovered is that that money was actually invested as if he was moderate aggressive. So a number four out of five, when in reality, his personal preference and risk profile was a number two out of five. Right. So he was he's a moderate conservative investor, but he's got moderate aggressive investments. Mm-hmm. And so really kind of at the opposite of where he should be mm-hmm. in terms of that comfort level. And you didn't understand that. And now, recently, stock markets have been doing well, so the, it looks like it's been a fantastic run and things have been growing well. So, you know, people get very comfortable with that. You don't want to lose out if there was still growth on the table, but um, it's a double-edged sword. So it can go up maybe 18%, but it could also go down 20%. So we looked at what we call standard deviation to understand how much volatility was involved in this. And, uh, and so one of the recommendations is to convert that to a more moderate conservative portfolio. Right. The next thing that we looked at is, um, uh, RRSPs, he's in a 43.41% marginal tax bracket, pretty getting into the highest brackets. He could actually contribute $44,000, his limit is 98, take $44,000 and put that into a spousal RRSP. And he's actually going to take half that. So 22 will be applied to last year's tax return. So 2019 tax return. And the other 22 will be applied to this year's tax return. Remember he had a hundred grand sitting in a savings, checking and savings accounts. So they had some cash flow available, some cash available. And um, by doing that, 
what we end up getting is capturing all of that tax bracket at 43.41%. So everything that went into the RSP is going to get a refund resulting as a result of that of 43.4%. So it works out to about $16,000 in terms of a tax refund for this year based on uh, for 2019 tax mm-hmm. year. Now, where's that money going to go? Where's that $16,000 refund going to go? Highest interest. Could go to the highest interest, basically the mortgage, mm-hmm. right? So they only have one debt. Let's get rid of that mortgage. Let's put it against the mortgage. So in addition to that, so we're going to do that this year, and we're also going to do that next year because this 2020 will be his biggest final income right. earning year because he's only going to work for half a year next year. So this is the highest tax bracket this year, the highest tax bracket he's ever going to be in last year. Um, so we'll take both tax refunds from this year, this spring and next spring against the mortgage. In addition, we're going to take 36 grand out of that 100 grand and put it against the mortgage right now. Mm-hmm. Lump sum payment. That leaves 20 grand sitting in his bank checking savings account and we're going to leave that earmarked for that truck payment for next year when mm-hmm. they have to buy out the, uh, the lease. The lease right. Okay, So the money's there, don't have to worry about it. Is he going to get floorboards for this truck? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is what it is. He gets it. Um, so the other thing that we talked about was this antique boat. And we came around to the, uh, that when we looked at the strategies around getting rid of the mortgage prior to retirement, um, he was suddenly very open to saying, you know what, I've had my run with it. It's time. I'm I'm okay to let it go. Mm. I'd like to have it for a couple of years into retirement. So we plan for three years out to sell the boat, the seventy five grand, assuming it just stays the same in value. It could go up, mm-hmm. but it stays the same in value, and we'll mm-hmm. use all of that to pay down the mortgage as well. So um, the final little bit, and we talked about some stretch goals, how they could really juice this and get some get way ahead. And when we come back from the break, I'll tell you what we ended up with. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. All right. So you're retiring in one year. Yes. We've been talking about the case study of Fred and Wilma, daughter Mm -hmm. Pebbles, and how uh, they want to retire in, uh, Fred wants to retire in a year this June. And their current situation was providing them with about a 56% chance of success of Mm -hmm. of reaching that goal and sort of not running out of money. And that put them in the red zone in terms of some concerns. So we applied a bunch of different strategies to their retirement plan. And uh, and the last one that I wanted to mention was what I call the stretch goal. And what I said to Fred and Wilma, listen, you're working between now and next June. What if you could double up your mortgage payment just for the next 18 months? just while you're working. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're thinking your home stretch, uh, you're motivated, you can see the end of the, 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 the goal line. Yeah. Why not uh, really put a push on in terms of reducing that debt and, and making some more headway against mm-hmm. the mortgage? So I thought, you know what, we could probably do that. So when we plug that into their plan, 
we actually came up with a fantastic couple of three main results that I was really happy about. Number one was their success rate, their probability of success went from 56% up to 87%. Yeah. So healthfully into that green zone in terms of probability and confidence around their retirement plan. Number two, the mortgage, which was going to be done, going to take 15 years to get done, will mm-hmm. be completed in August 2025. So it's actually going to be four years from now instead of 15 years from now. Wow. So we've shaved 10 years off of their mortgage payments. And the third thing, which was excellent too, when we looked at how they were currently managing their money, we're actually lowering the fees that they're paying. Currently, they were paying about 1.75%. We were able to drop that down to 1.35% and save them about three grand a year in terms of ongoing advisory fees. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a, if you're re- retiring, thinking about retiring, it's so important to get a plan to understand wh- and with clarity mm-hmm. how confident you can be about the strategies you've got and also make sure we don't leave any stone unturned in terms of other opportunities. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's our retirement with one year. But at any at any at any day, there's always risk associated with investments and the volatility associated with investments. And I know we went, Don, let's talk a little bit further about that too. Yes, the uh, kind of the topic of the day right now has been the coronavirus. Yeah. Okay, and and I'm getting the odd call. So any anything uh, you know we should do about this? And really, you look at the stock market. What it tries to do, it projects what the impact of something will happen. Say in the six months ahead. So you go back to say December 2018. Trump th- started talking about China tariffs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like wow, tariffs. Okay, well, how will that? And the market went down 20 percent. Um, it turned out that by January, they said, well, it really won't have that much impact. It's just scared. They don't know how to, you know, dollarize that. How, how much impact is this going to happen? So this past week, we've seen a lot of volatility just on the news because now they're kind of shutting down areas of China. Yeah. And then we got a couple of, uh, you know, positive results in, in, in Ontario saying they've got the coronavirus. First of all, if you go to the Canadian government uh, respiratory virus report, which I didn't even know existed. They list all these different viruses and there's a flu, there's a uh, human, I don't even know how to say a lot of these ones actually. Coronavirus is one of them. Mm. Unbeknown to me, there is seven different types of coronaviruses. Yeah. Can, can I, you know, I just have to interrupt. If, if I was a beer company, I would think, could you come up with any other I know. name? I <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. Yeah, Mexico <laughs> good yeah, for, yeah, uh, yeah, for yeah. Corona. No. Uh, it turns out there's been 134 coronavirus reports in the last few months in Canada, mm-hmm. but that's has nothing to do with this coronavirus. No. SARS, by the way, was a coronavirus. As well, yeah. Okay, so it makes it a little difficult to know what this and, is. And to really put it into perspective... Uh, more people in Canada die from the flu, just the common everyday Absolutely. flu that you get your flu shot from, than will ever die of the coronavirus. Yes. So that kind of keeps it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't shock me to find they'll find some, you know, this particular strain, they will find some type of vaccine against it, mm-hmm. like they normally do when there's something this important. Um, so you look back and say, well, well, how do the stock markets react? Well, you go back to HIV and AIDS in 1981. Um, in the six months after they kind of found the first one, or figured out what it was. It was a minus 0.2% of the market. And the market went down 11% the next year. Mm. I'm thinking, wow, okay, so these viruses really must have an impact. Well, 1981 was also a recession. Mm -hmm. Okay. I believe it had very little to do with it because in 1994, there was a pneumonic plague. SARS, April 2003. 
Okay, hard to believe that was 17 years ago. Okay, I remember all the concerts and so forth. Well, the six month after the very first instance of SARS, the US stock market was up Mm 14.59%. And in the year it went up 20.76%. So zero impact. In fact, actually had a very good year. Um, The swine flu in 2009, 18.72 in the first six months, 36% increase in the next 12 months. Mm. So again, obviously nothing there. Um, The Ebola virus wasn't long ago. Uh, March 2014 was when it happened and it went up 5.34% and up 10% on the year. Now there's been measles, the Zika virus, fairly recent. Zika, Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, 12.03%. And by the way, this is January, 2016. So this would be four years ago. It's so hard to keep track of the time on these things. Uh, yeah. You kind of think of what, where did you hear that? I honestly thought the Zika virus was only two years ago. Yeah. And over the course of the year, it went up 17.45%. So bottom line is it, it really is, seems to be just a footnote in terms of the performance mm. of it. Cause I really don't feel it had any impact. And what you're seeing is volatility is people are scared. Yeah. They don't, uh, markets don't like uncertainty. And so once they find there's a containment of it, you'll see a, uh, uh, upsurge in the markets normally mm-hmm. and only because they were supposed to go up in the first place not because so during a recession yeah the markets go down mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with the fact there was hiv and aids at age at the time right okay so yes there's all sorts of different you know events that take place and they all seem to have a short-term effect on the market it may only be a day it mm-hmm. might be a week but long term do not let this get involved in your long-term financial plan We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right. What are we yes. talking about this time? <laughs> Let's talk about your financial snapshot. This is a picture of where you are. Exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the, we're into the new year. People love New Year's resolutions. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's health resolutions. Mm-hmm. I think financial resolutions Absolutely. rank up there pretty high mm-hmm. too. One of the One of the greatest starting points that you can do from your overall financial health is to get a clear picture or snapshot of where you are today. Mm-hmm. And- where uh, you're, where you're bleeding. Well, there's that. It's, it's, it also helps you identify where you're bleeding, but it just helps, you know, in the case of any emergency or an unforeseen, you know, unforeseen death, uh, a situation where you're in an accident and you're in, incapacitated, having your personal records organized and in a place where your executors or your power of attorney mm. can access them easily is going to be such a stress relief for those individuals, you won't believe it. And the other side of that is that by actually collecting all of your data into one place, it actually will provide you less stress because you're going to have more clarity and more understanding about where you are and where you're going to be going. Mm -hmm. So the financial snapshot is a critical process. Don and I, whenever we meet with um, a new client, even our existing clients as well, we go through this on an annual basis, but it's really getting a snapshot of where all of your financial life sits today. Mm -hmm. And one of the tools that we can use, and this one is, is in more depth, but it's also available to clients and we can certainly get that out to any listener. It's called our personal records organizer. And it's really about getting that financial 
financial snapshot of your overall picture. Now you can Google probably a personal record organizer online mm-hmm. and print off something from some site that will get you started on this process. Right. But as you dig deep into this and don't be overwhelmed by it, it doesn't have to be all done in one day, mm-hmm. but um, it's something that you can work together with and your partner if you're if you're in a relationship or on your own. Uh, but really the perp, you know, the idea is to get this in organizing your information about your personal financial affairs and it really will serve as a valuable resource for your survivors or your estate administrators upon death. And then you want to keep it in a safe place so that uh, with all your other important papers so that people and to make sure you let your family know where they can find these mm-hmm. documents as well. So basically it starts off with a date. We know what date is this as of, you know, mm-hmm. Jan- uh, February 1st, right. 2020, here's where I am and here's where our situation. And this will start with people to contact. You know, it could be next of kin, it might be your spouse, it could be uh, relatives, it could be important uh, family members that need to be in, in aware of this. Who is going to be your executor? Mm-hmm. Where are they? How are they located? What's their phone number? How do we get a hold of them? Where do you work? Your employer, their phone number, a contact person there. Who's your lawyer? Who do you use? When was, when was the last time you did your will? What is their name? Where are they located? Who does your taxes? Mm-hmm. Tax preparation. What financial institutions do you deal with? Who's your IG, private mm-hmm. wealth management consultant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and others as well. So once you get into the next area, I, we're really talking about the estate documents. And these are important ones, but obviously, you know, your power of attorney. Where is that document? Who is the power of attorney? Uh, and where are they going to be kept? Do you have a... Um, power of attorney for personal care. Who's going to be making the medical decisions for you? Make sure that's written down. Do you have a will? Is it updated? And when was it? Where is it located? Is it in a safety deposit box? Is the original with the lawyer? And then what about organ donation? And you can sort of dictate or uh, express at least your concerns as, or your uh, your wishes there. Has it been done through your will? Maybe you have an or- organ donor card. Is your driver's license um, or provincial health card indicate that you're a donor as well? And then you want to let people know that you are willing to donate your organs as mm-hmm. well. Funeral arrangements, uh, have you done that? Many people do. They prepaid for funeral arrangements. Where is it? Who? Uh, what company? And uh, how, what's the details of that? And do you have will? Do you have instructions for your funeral in your will or, or in a letter? And is there a cemetery plot? And uh, is have provisions made for the ongoing care of that as well? Do you... Uh, have a birth certificate. Where is that birth certificate? Where were you born? Your social insurance number. And then the next area, which is interesting, is digital assets. So take some time and think about all the digital accounts that you've got and services that you're using. And let's get these down on paper as well, because mm. you may want your survivors to be able to access and terminate these accounts for yeah. you. So what's your computer login? What email accounts do you have? What digital media accounts do you have? Music, uh, videos, books. Wow, what about social whole, media? That's a whole other element. Facebook, it, Twitter, eh? uh, Twitter yeah. LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. And all of those, and with passwords, so that people can get you off the system, mm. right? Um, citizenship papers, passports, marriage certificate, divorce certificates, domestic contracts, all of these things. Where are they located? Who's involved? Did you did you have military service? What clubs or organizations do you belong to? Those memberships have to be canceled. Mm. Um, mm. Maybe there's, uh, maybe you have a locker that needs to be cleaned out. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that would involve your various clubs or organizations. What about loyalty reward programs? All those cards you carry around, wow. Aeroplan, points, <laughs> you name it, right? All those other ones. Uh, 
those need to be canceled as well. And then you get into your financial commitments. What rent or mortgage payments are you making? Who has the mortgage? What other outstanding lines of credits, business cards, any loans or guarantees? Do people owe you money? Um, what other, do you make spousal support? There's all kinds of financial obligations that might be part of that. Insurance side, life insurance, um, out of, out of tra- uh, province travel insurance in case an accident happens while you're out of the country. Mm. Who, who's your insurer? How do I contact them? Um, in terms of investments, your investment funds, annuity contracts, guaranteed investment certificates, securities and stocks that you might own, your RIFs, your RRSPs, and then we get into your residence, uh, real estate, what, when, what type of real estate, condo, house, rental property, cottage, um, where are those uh, documents located, the mortgage, the uh, certificate of title for the properties, etc., and any personal property like vehicles, um, <clears throat> any trust funds, household furnishings that are insured, etc., and then finally you end up with a net worth statement, which is a great snapshot of where you are. Putting all of this together, it's it sounds a bit overwhelming, but at the end of the day, the weight will lift off your shoulders Mm. and you will feel much more confident. Trust me. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week.